Yes. Acts chapter 2, Oliver. Yes. Okay, so Acts chapter 2. Um, there are a lot of uh, doctrines that teach certain things about the book of Acts and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about these things. And there are a lot of people, you know, I, I used to go to a uh, Pentecostal church, which is very big on, you know, the uh, aspects of speaking in tongues. Very big. The charis charismatic church. And I have to admit, there is a lot of abuse today in speaking in tongues. A lot of abuse where it is does not align with Holy Scripture. But, you know, I'm not going to speak negatively about the gift of speaking in tongues because it is a biblical truth. But yet the Bible says there are certain things that have to happen, you know, when you speak in tongues. Paul writes about it more in uh, to, to certain churches. You know how, you know, when you speak in tongues, there must be an interpreter to say these things, what this means. Otherwise, people are going to think it's crazy town. And you see these things happening in churches all over the place. There's the what they call the uh, 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 revival in, that happened in Florida. And they call it like the laughing revival. And, you know, you see you can watch it on YouTube. You see these videos of all these things happen and you just see these people. It's just crazy town. It's craziness. Things that do not align with Holy Scripture. But yet we're going to see what the Bible teaches us. About what happens in Acts chapter 2 and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And here in chapter 2 verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now remember, Pentecost, all it means is the 50th day. That's all it means. The day of Pentecost. The 50th day. And you know, in accordance with the law. In accord I'm not advocating the law, but I'm pointing to what the law teaches. But in accordance with the law, it was after the feast of the first fruits. After the feast of the first fruits, it was the 50th day. It's also known as the feast of weeks, that particular time period. Or it's also known as the feast of the harvest. It's a very big deal. As new covenant believers, the feast of the harvest. But in accordance with the new covenant, as new covenant believers, it's after the rising of Jesus Christ, the 50th day after the rising of Jesus Christ. So the day the tomb was empty, count 50 days from that moment, and that's when Acts, Acts chapter 2 happens. It's something entirely new that's about to happen. And so the writer here, Dr. Luke, he writes in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is a big deal throughout the book of Acts. A huge, huge deal throughout the book of Acts. What, what you say like, you know, what do you mean? What's a big deal? The church body in one accord. One accord. It's a very, very big deal. Because it happens a lot throughout scripture. Especially in the book of Acts. You see a church body, they're all in one accord. It happens a lot. What it means, it's, it's in the Greek, humo thumadon. It's one mind. One mind. 
You know, and I have to say, unlike today. Because what happens today in a church body, you know, you might have a pastor that teaches and is going through the Bible. And then all of a sudden somebody raises their hand and says, hey, pastor, I think you're wrong about this. And the pastor will say, "Okay, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, whatever you think, that's the truth. And then somebody else will raise their hand. And then the pastor will say, what do you have to say? And the other person says, well, I think you're both wrong. I think it's like this. And then the pastor will say, well, you know, if you think that's the truth, then, you know, so be it. That's what you see in churches today. And it's such a trip. Liz and I, we went to a church one time where, you know, the pastor was teaching, you know, and then he started to say, you know, well, I think this, but my wife thinks this. So, you know, you just come up with your own conclusions and then somebody literally raised their hand. He calls on the person and the person says, well, I think this. So he changed his mind like on the spot. And it's like, wait a second. That's not the church body in one mind. That's not one mind. What it is, it's a whole bunch of minds. I mean, look at one person with like, you know, the doctors call it bipolar. I don't know if there's such a thing as tripolar. I would call it maybe schizophrenia. But you're crazy people. And it's such a trip because, I mean, have you ever talked to somebody that's bipolar? It's like they're happy one minute, you know, and you go to the bathroom, you come back, and then they're mad at you. You know, and it's like, what in the world is happening? Crazy town. And you know what blows me away is you have the exact same thing in the church today. Bipolar, schizophrenia. Spiritually speaking. You say, Jay, that's a little hardcore to say. Is it really? Because a lot of people like to make these excuses and say, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And I say, where in the Bible does it say that there's an expiration date on the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit? You will not find it. You won't find it. It's not written. You know what the problem is? The problem is you and me and all these people who live lives in hypocritical lifestyles. I shouldn't say you and me. But the problem is the flesh. That's what the problem is. And because it's a problem with the flesh, it's like, okay, there's no power of the Holy Spirit. Because in order for us to live out the Christian life, remember, the Holy Spirit has to do the work inside of you, inside of me, and then He'll do the work, you know, through you and me. That's the disconnect. And here you have the church body in one accord. One mind. And what do I say? I say the mind of Christ. You say, how do you, how can you know the mind of Christ? Remember, the word became flesh. Genesis to Revelation, the word became flesh. Look what happens here in verse 2. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven, translates as a loud roar from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is, you know, these are things that can be explained. It's how the spirit moves. I mean, a lot of times people like to explain the uh miracles they like to explain or attempt to explain the power of the holy spirit but what do i say it's inexplainable or unexplainable 
English is my second language, so that's, it's unexplainable. Miracles, certain things that you will never understand. Like, how is this possible? How is this humanly possible? This guy was a crack addict. This lady was a prostitute. And now they're Christians? Now they're following Jesus Christ? You can't explain it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember what happens here in verse 3. Remember, so, you know, the disciples, they're in, gathered in one accord in one place. And then all of a sudden, this miracle happens. This loud roar from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3 says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Divided tongues here translates as separated and distributed divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them so the tongues were distributed i don't want to go off topic and i don't really think it's off topic but take for example a car okay a marvelous piece of engineering you can take a 1960s whatever, 1970s whatever, 80s, 90s, 2000s, whatever, but it's a marvelous piece of engineering. So much technicality, even in a 1970s car, 1960 car, so much technical aspects of a car. And so, you know, what happens when you get inside your car? You know, it's quiet. You close the door, you're in the driver's seat, and you have to turn on the ignition. You know, sometimes it's a key, sometimes you hit a button, but the same thing happens inside the mechanics. So you have a car battery. With the, the car battery is like very important. You have this power source. And when you turn the ignition, basically what you're doing, I mean, the, 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 the wire connection, it's broken without turning the key. It's broken. The power can't get, you know, go through the car. So when you turn the ignition, it closes that gap. And then all of a sudden the power continues from the battery. It goes to the cam. It does some other things. I'm not like a mechanic. It does some other things. And then it goes to the distributor. And then inside the distributor, there's this little thing that spins really fast. And it makes that connection, that the wire connection, a whole bunch of times. And those wires go to the uh, spark plugs. And the spark plugs, you know, at the very end of the spark, you know, at the, at the very end of the, the plug is a little spark. And that spark is how the, you know, inside that the gas comes up because gas is very flammable. Gas comes in and then that little spark and then boom, you have an explosion. And then, you know, the pistons start moving. That's, it starts with the battery. And that wire connection, that power from the battery, you know, it goes through your little, your little uh, ignition when you turn the key. It starts everything. That's what I like to think of when I think of, you know, power being distributed. Think of the church body. Every single person in the church body as like little spark plugs. You know, or even little pistons. 
think of the church body as a bunch of little pistons. I'm at here. I have a different perspective, you know, because I, you know, I, well, I, I look down at the Bible, but I meant like if I looked up, I would see everybody's face. And on top of everybody's head would be like a little spark plug. Power being distributed. But then what happens, you know, the Bible speaks about, you know, and I'm speaking about the church body. I'm not speaking about individually. Because individually something happens in terms of, you know, whether or not we're aligning with Holy Scripture. That's individually. But I'm speaking about corporately as a church body. The Lord gives us very specific guidelines on qualifications for a pastor. Biblical qualifications as a pastor. And I'm not trying to, you know, boast you know, think of me as like the slimiest piece of garbage ever, except I have a mouth. And I'm not trying to boast or, or anything like that, but the Bible is very specific on qualifications for a pastor and qualifications for an elder and teaching the word of God. It's very, very spiritually sensitive in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit. Being distributed to the people. And I'm speaking corporately. Individually, we all have our own personal responsibilities. To yield to the, you know, the leading of the Holy Spirit as defined in Holy Scripture. But I'm speaking about the corporate body. You know, the qualifications for a pastor or the qualifications for an elder. And how the Holy Spirit, how that power comes down from the word and then is distributed to the church body. I mean, if you consider like a conductor, you know, like a, a, a symphony, a conductor, say, for example, you know, every single every person here is like has an instrument, you know, some have a violin, somebody might have, you know, the drumsticks, somebody has a trumpet, somebody has the, the flute or whatever, somebody has a clarinet, somebody has a tuba. And then the conductor comes out. And then, you know, we start to play our music. The conductor comes out and it's like, boom, the strings over here. You know, boom, the flutes over here. You know, boom, the, the brass, the trumpet. You know, Oliver in the back with his drums, you know. And it's like this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful music that we start to play. And then, you know, if you ever see like you watch a, like a concert, you know, you see like go through a concert hall. I love how it starts because everybody's, you know, finely dressed, you know, everybody's in their tux, you know, or their gowns or whatever. And they're out there with their instruments. And then all of a sudden, you know, the conductor walks out, you know, stands at the podium, you know, says maybe like a welcome to the audience. And then he turns his back to the audience. And then they start to play. And at the very beginning, everybody's, you know, finely pressed, you know, everything's fine, hair's all nice and neat. But what if it's like a 10-minute ballad? You know, 10 minutes long. At the end of it, everybody's just a mess, you know, sweating, pools of sweat. There's like puddles of spit on the ground, you know, because, you know, the, between, between like sets, you know, the, whatever instrument, you know, they have to clean it and get the spit out of it. 
you know the 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 people playing the music they're like huffing and puffing because you know the trumpeters you see, you watch them in their mouths and they're breathing and they're trying to gasp for air as they perform and it blows me away because that's what i think of when i think of the church body you know we're out there you know it's not that we're performing for people our audience is one our audience is one and our audience is jesus christ And, you know, it's so cool. Because what happens in context of the world, the world will hate you. The world will hate you. They'll spit at you. They'll try to punch you. They'll mock you. They'll make fun of you. They'll do all these things. But you know what I say? Who cares? Who cares? Let them hate you. Let them mock you. Let them make fun of you and rejoice because you're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Your audience isn't them. Your audience is Jesus Christ. And you know, it, 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 that, that's how I think of the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like a car or like an orchestra. You know, everybody has a part. You know, the writers of the Bible, Paul, James, uh, uh, Peter, they all write about one body with many parts. I mean, you open the hood of a car and what do you have? You see all these components when you open the hood. Every single component is very important to the functionality of that car. Every single aspect when you open the hood. How power is distributed from the battery. Once the engine starts, how bad, how power is generated. And you have the alternator. But don't forget, you need a voltage regulator too. Or else, the, you know, the power is going to, you know, mess up the whole car. All these different things. And once you turn that key, what happens? I mean, here, you know, as, as laymen, you know, we turn the key or hit the button and the car starts. Like, you know, no big deal. But have you ever had car problems? And then you ask a mechanic, hey, something's wrong with my car. And they sit inside your car and they like start, it's like, it's, they say, be quiet. You know, don't say a word, you know. They'll sit there with you, you know, and then they'll start the car. And all they're doing is listening because they know I need to hear, you know, if I hit the button or if I turn the key, this needs to happen or else the battery's dead. And if this does, if this happens and then so they know in their head, like, like what's happening with that power source going from station to station to station, the sounds they need to hear as gas is thrown from the, you know, it, it comes through the tubes. They know everything that they have to hear. And so they'll start the car and just listen. And then they'll immediately know it's this, this is the problem. That's kind of how I see the church at large. And I speak, you know, it sounds like I'm speaking disrespectfully. And I say it with all due respect to the Lord. But when I say that there's a disconnect in the church body today, that's the disconnect. The power, where's the power? Because people live, you know, like hypocritical lifestyles. They have, and especially pastors, they have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. There's no power. 
And because there's no power in their lives, they try to explain away Acts chapter 2 and say, oh, this was for that dispensation. It was for 2,000 years ago. It is not for today. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to make excuses for their sinful lifestyles. That's precisely what they're trying to do. Because there's no expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, people say the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's, it was for 2,000 years ago. But there are churches today where the power of the Holy Spirit is moving. Alive and well and moving very, very powerfully. I know a guy, a pastor. This is a guy who I have great, great love and admiration for. If the Lord didn't call me to be a pastor, I would move. I would relocate so I could submit myself to his teaching. And he says he goes to churches all the time. You know, he's invited to to teach. And he goes and teaches. And he has certain ailments. He's kind of chubby, you know, and he has certain ailments. And he says, you know, everybody prays for him. And he still has these problems, these, you know, health issues. He still has these issues. But then he frequents Vietnam a lot. This is why I hear these reports about what happens in Vietnam when I speak about the persecuted church. And he goes to Vietnam, not Vietnam in the main populous area, but he goes in the outskirts to these young churches. And he goes into the church there, like in the, out, like in the mountains, in the jungles. And he tells them, he tells the church body about his ailments. And then a brother will get up, put his hand on him and pray for him. And it's gone. It's gone. Completely gone. How can you tell somebody like that, that the power of the Holy Spirit was for 2,000 years ago? You can't. There's no expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit. None whatsoever. And I think it's so beautiful. For me, it kind of puts me in check. And if you're honest with yourself, I wonder if it puts you in check too. What is the disconnect in my life? And so look what happens here when these in verse three says, then there appeared to them divided tongues or separated and distributed. You know, when I read this and I'm going to say, you know, for the rest of your life, I can't lord over your faith. But I strongly encourage you for the rest of your life to think of your think of yourself. Think of the vessel that you, you know, currently reside in. Think of yourself as like a spark plug. And the power of the Holy Spirit emanating from these pages and right to your heart, right to your mind. It says, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the book of Acts is so beautiful. Because you're going to see a different church from the church you see today. You see the church body in one accord, as we read in verse one, one accord, one mind. In obedience to the Lord, because remember, the Lord says, go to Jerusalem and wait there. And here in verse four, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what I see when I read this? They're not on empty. 
they're not on empty. I'm going to make mention of this throughout the book of Acts. Every single time it says that the church body is in one accord. And every time it says the church body or certain individuals are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see it happens a lot. Not just here. It happens over and over and over and over and over and over. And I can say it over and over. What do you see today? Where is the power of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you what you see today. When there's no power in somebody's life, they explain it by saying, oh, it was for 2,000 years ago. It was for that dispensation. They use all these big words. It was for that dispensation, which is another way of saying it was for back then and not for today. All these brainiacs, they like to use these big words to sound like they're smart. They'll talk about, you know, dispensation, you know, they'll use all these big words. And it's like, what do you mean? What does that word mean? And then they'll tell you what it means. You're like, why didn't you just say it like this? They like to sound like they're smart. And you read the Bible and it's like, wow, you know, I read my Bible and it says you're a fool. You need to repent. This happens a lot in the book of Acts. The church body is in one accord and being filled with the Holy Spirit. As promised by Jesus Christ. It's not a farce. You know, you see a lot in the church body today. It's a farce. They'll say, well, it happened in the book of Acts. It's going to happen with me too. And they start speaking gibberish. And they call it the power of the Holy Spirit. They name it the Holy Spirit. They say it's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's proof that you have the Holy Spirit in you. You know what I say? It's a farce. Because the Bible says, hey, it's not a spectacle. It's not a joke. It's speaking in tongues is a holy language. It's a heavenly language, the language of angels. But yet at the same time, there's a purpose behind speaking in tongues. What happens here? We're going to read it further. But remember, the Lord says, you know, I want you to go into the world. You know, to Jerusalem, to, to Judea and to the outer parts of the world. That's what he told the disciples. And because of their language barriers, you know, they, were, they would be very restricted on where they would go. And then the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they start to speak in these other languages. And when they speak in these other languages, there's a purpose behind it. And the purpose is to fulfill the word of God when he says, go into the world. It's an example of, you know, where God guides, God provides. A lot of people think of that term in terms of money. Or where God, yeah, where God guides, God provides. They think of it in terms of money. But it has nothing to do with money. The Lord is leading. The Lord is guiding here in obedience. You see the church body doing it in the book of Acts. And I say, you know, be the same way. The Lord says, go here. The Lord says, do this. Okay, do it. And then wait on the Lord to provide. You know, Liz and I have talked to missionaries before. You know, they say, well, you know, they give this big old speech. They send all these postcards. They send all these letters Oh, the, the Lord is calling me over here to Zimbabwe. The Lord is calling me over here to China. The Lord is calling me over here to Russia. <clears throat> Help me, you know, be a part of what the Lord is doing. 
Give me this money. Send me this money. And then, you know, like a week later, you know, a, a guy comes to me and says, hey, Jay, you know, the Lord called me to Russia. First thing I say, what are you doing here? Why aren't you in Russia? The Lord called you to Russia. Why are you here? You know, we should be like, you know, FaceTiming, you know, or call me on the phone or send me an email, do whatever. You say the Lord called you to Russia. What in the world are you doing here? But then they say, you know, the Lord called me over here, but I can't go there unless you do this. You don't see that in the Bible. You do not see that in the book of Acts. You do not see that in Holy Scripture. What do you see? You see the Lord saying, hey, I'm calling you over here. And you see these people in obedience going. And when they go there, they're exhausted of all their resources. And then all of a sudden, the Lord provides. We do it the other way around in Western culture. I say flip it, the other, you know, flip it back to where it should be. The Lord is calling you one place. The Lord is asking you to do this. Do it in obedience. Because as much as the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in wherever he's calling you, he also wants to do a work in you too. To grow your faith. To get rid of your doubts. And to grow your faith. And something happens, you know, you have the church body, you know, they're not on empty. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, as promised by Jesus Christ. And, you know, we're going to turn, you know, I place whenever I hear somebody speaking in tongues. Whenever I hear somebody speaking in tongues. I place greater scrutiny on these people. Great, like incredible scrutiny on these people. Biblical scrutiny. Because I'll tell you why. Turn with me to John 16. John 16. So something happens, you know, you say like, wait, Jay, why? Why is it that you say you place great scrutiny when, whenever you hear people speak in tongues? This is precisely why. In John 16, you know, remember in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then something happens here in verse 13. Look at verse 13. He's speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit and what's happening when our study in the book of Acts chapter 2. He says, however... When he, the spirit of truth, notice that the H is capitalized. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's why I place greater scrutiny on people who speak in tongues. Because they say it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay. So if you're going to speak in tongues, why is it that you allow women pastors? If you're going to speak in tongues, why is it that you're still on the crack pipe? If you're going to speak in tongues, 
Why is it that you're, you know, a sex addict? And you're addicted to pornography and you're beating on your wife and cheating on your wife. If you're going to speak in tongues, why are these things happening in your life? When, because you tell me it's evidence of the Holy Spirit and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But our Lord himself says that he will guide you into all truth. Who's the liar? Either you're the liar or Jesus Christ is a liar. And I shudder at even saying it like that. Because that's the disconnect in people's life. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You see, I, I don't understand what's happening today. I mean, I understand it, but I don't understand because I mean, the Bible is kind of easy. It's not written with like huge words. It's, it's written for you and me to easily understand. But remember, the Bible also says it is spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit will help us understand these things. So I hear somebody speak in tongues. And they say, oh, it's evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how I'm able to speak in tongues. It's like, okay. Since the Holy Spirit will guide me into all truth and guide you into all truth, why do I not see truth in your life? Maybe what you're calling the Holy Spirit, maybe it's a lie. Maybe... You're deceived. I'm not, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be mean. But I would much rather grieve people than grieve the Holy Spirit. I would much rather grieve people over grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible speaks about, you know, what happens when, you know, it's a sign of the last days. All these people who are offended. It's a sign of the last days. You say, what do you mean it's a sign of the last days? Well, you know, we read it not too long ago in Matthew 24. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read really quick. In Matthew 24. It says that in Matthew 24 verse 10. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. I mean, I don't This kind of rings true today. But it also rang true, you know, years ago, hundreds of years ago. That's why Jesus Christ says, count the cost. The cost of following him. People will hate you. They will make fun of you. But yet the word of God is true. I want, I want my life to align with Holy Scripture. I want your lives to align with Holy Scripture. I want us to be of one mind. I don't want us to be spiritually bipolar or tripolar or schizos, you know? That's what you see in the world. 
people who have a debased minds, which I have to say also is a form of judgment. Why? Because there is no love of the truth. No love of the truth. It's in the Bible. Read Paul's writings to the church in Thessalonica. Because there was no love of the truth, God gave them over to a debased mind. It's to love truth. There are certain things in the Bible that are just so beautiful to read. It just like, you know, little butterflies, you know, flying across the meadow. And, you know, it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. And then you turn the page and it's like a knife in your heart. Like, ooh, Lord, that hurts. You know what I say? Let the word of God hurt you. You say, what do you mean? Let the word of God hurt me. Because he's hitting a nerve. That's the Lord who comes into your heart and it wants to rip out the cabinets. These old dirty cabinets that you love. He wants to rip out these old cabinets and you say, oh no, I like those cabinets. I like those cabinets. And he's like, you know, what I'm going to replace it with is going to be so much better. You're going to love it. All you have to do is trust me and let me. And you say, okay, Lord, have your way with me. Have your way with me. Do it, Lord. I don't want to fight you anymore. It's very, very important to understand these things about the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And you say, what's, what's the big deal about it? The big deal is the power. That's how the Word of God goes into my heart, goes into your heart. And then all of a sudden, that power line is connected. And then the spark plugs. And then, you know, inside our hearts, there's a little engine. And that's how the spark plug hits the gas. And then, boom, the explosion. Piston, 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 piston. And then all of a sudden, we're revved up. Thank you. Outside of that, there's, there's no moving parts. There's no power. And so look what happens here. In verse 4, going back to Acts 2. In Acts 2, verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Translates as languages. As the Spirit gave them utterance. As the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, I have to say, this is a big deal. These verses that we're reading now, it's very huge in Pentecostal churches, in charismatic churches. And a lot of times it leads to crazy town. People just go crazy. They go nuts. But yet, remember what Jesus Christ says, how the Holy Spirit will, will uh, uh, um, guide us into all truth. That he is the spirit of truth. And then you start to understand because the word teaches. I mean, how? I've, just so you guys know, I've never spoken in tongues before. Never. There was one time when I wanted to, but I was afraid. I was afraid. And it's like, I, I knew what I wanted to say. Like, say, for example, if in your brain, you just say to yourself, I'm going to say the word butterfly. You know how to say it. You know what it means. You know how to enunciate. Except from goes to brain, it never comes off your tongue because you just don't want to. Like something happens where you just refuse to say it or you don't want to say it. That's how I was. I knew what I wanted to say, but because I didn't understand it, I didn't utter the words. 
But then I went to Google and I typed it in and I hit enter and then it popped up and it was, I don't even know what language it was, but I just saw the thing on the little search result and it said like, you know, praise be to the king. And I, I was just blown away. So I've never spoken in tongues. But I wanted to, you know, but I was too chicken. I was too afraid. I didn't understand it. This was years ago. This was a while ago. And a lot of times people like to restrict. Oh, this is evidence. Speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit. But don't put a period there. Put a comma there. Because there's other evidences of the Holy Spirit. There's other workings of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what they are. In Galatians chapter 5. You know, I'll read verse 19. I was just going to go straight to 22. But I'm going to read verse 19. Galatians 5, 19. Now, the works of the flesh, flesh, not the spirit, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. So that's that's kind of what goes along the lines of tripping me out where people say, you know, oh, you know, I, I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. You should speak in tongues, too. And so they speak in tongues, but yet they're a fornicator. They speak in tongues, but yet they're unclean before the Lord. They're lewd. As it says here in verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Emphasis on will not inherit the kingdom of God. I know that sounds scary. I know that's for me. It terrifies me. You mean to tell me if I practice these things, I will not inherit the kingdom of God? It is written. That's what the Bible says. You say, okay, how do I not be jealous? How am I not given into adultery and fornication and selfish ambitions, outbursts of wrath and drunkenness? That's the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 22, this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, but the fruit of the Spirit, notice capital S, the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth, who doesn't speak of his own authority. The fruit of this Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In my Bible, I circled that, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You have all these passions and desires in your heart. Don't forget the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
knowing and understanding the word of God, it's like, okay, I'm going to take my passions and desires and throw it in the trash. You know why? Because that guy is crucified and I'm alive in Christ. Oh, but Jay, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. Look, here I am speaking in tongues. It sounds like gibberish, but by faith, you know, it's, I don't know what it means, but it means something. Okay, what's up with the crack pipe, brother? What's up with your porn addiction, brother? Why are you beating on your wife, brother? Repent, brother. Repent. Put aside, reckon the old man dead. Crucify your flesh with its passions and desires. Because Paul writes to the church in Galatia, in, here in chapter 5, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Not what you see in hypocritical lifestyles. What does the word hypocrite mean? It means an actor, a poser, somebody who is faking it. They want to appear holy, but are they holy? No way. No way. And so what happens here? Going back to Acts chapter 2, you see the Holy Spirit is about to just blow them away. Blow them away. This miracle that happens. In verse 5, remember, it, well, actually in verse 4, you know, as the Spirit gave them utterance, they started to speak in these other languages. And utterance here is apotegomai in the Greek. What it translates is, is to declare and enunciate plainly. It's not gibberish. It's to declare and enunciate plainly. Today, the gift of tongues is abused. And it pains me to say that. It pains me to say that. Because they make a mockery of holy things. But then what happens in the book of Acts? You're going to see the church in one accord as in verse 1. And then in verse 4, the church filled with the Holy Spirit. Individuals. And then, you know, sometimes it's a small, sometimes it's just two brothers. Sometimes it's a sister, a group of sisters, men, women, young, old. It doesn't matter. Who is it that is aligning their heart with the heart of Jesus Christ? Takes their heart, rips it out of your chest and places it right here in the word of God, in these holy pages and says, Lord, not my will, thy will. Have your way with me. There's a lot of dying that has to happen in the church today. You say, oh, wow, Jay, that's so, so hardcore to say it like that. You know what I say? You know, oh, that's too hardcore. That's too hardcore. That's too hardcore. You know what I say? Is there any other way to live? Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Count the cost. Count the cost. And so look what happens here. You know, outside of, because there's no power, because you have a power source, you know, like the car battery, which, you know, you sit in your car and it's just like, it's not very far from you. Yeah, it's under the hood. But, you know, when you look at your dashboard, you know, it's not very far from you. For us, 
metaphysically speaking, supernaturally speaking, the power source is in the heavenly realm. That's the power source. Am I, are you connected to the power source? You know, you open your Bible, it's like turning the thing, turning the ignition, turning the key, or hitting a button. It's like, boom, power source. That's how you live the Christian life. Somebody punches you in the face, and the old man wanted to, you know, put your elbow in their face. But no, because you're connected to the power source, you're like, okay. You know, it's okay. And then, you know, that's how we're able to live the Christian life. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now look what happens here in verse 5. He says in verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, Devout here translates as religious and pious from every nation under heaven. So there's Jews all over the place in Jerusalem from all over the world. They come and gather, you know, say, for example, we take a church trip. We get on the a bus, you know, we rent a bus, a nice bus. Oh, no, we better fly because it's a long drive. So we get on a plane. And where's the destination? Orlando, Florida. We're going to go to Disney World as a church. You know what happens when you're in Disney World? A lot of people like to come to Disney, like people from Germany, people from Africa, people from South America, people from Mexico, people from Scandinavia, Russians, Chinese, Asians, all the whole, everybody. You know, you go through Disney World and you're standing in line and you hear all these weird languages. People are speaking in their native tongues, you know. A kid runs off and you hear like, you know, weird language. And they're telling the kid, hey, get your behind back over here. Just like we do in English. So picture that in Jerusalem. All these Jews that are gathering from around the world and they're speaking in their native tongues, you know. Jews from China, Jews from Russia. I'm speaking kind of like, you know, a little facetious in my little additives. But I'm trying to paint a picture of what this is like. All these, you know, Jews are gathering like if we were to go to Disney World and gather in Disney World. You stand in line and you hear all these different languages. And then something happens here. Remember that these are devout Jews. And in observance of the law, they're gathering in Jerusalem. They gather in Jerusalem. Turn with me to Leviticus 23. You say, well, you know, why are these devout Jews? Why are they gathering in Jerusalem? I'll tell you why. Here's why in Leviticus 23, verse 16. This is why the devout Jews are gathering in Jerusalem. Count 50 days. Very interesting. Very interesting. Remember... Pentecost. What does Pentecost mean? 50th. It's in performance of the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the Harvest. In verse 16 of Leviticus 23, the law. I'm not advocating the law. But remember, the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
Verse 16, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. So all these Jews from around the world, they're gathering in Jerusalem in observance of the law. That's why the writer of Acts says they're devout Jews, because here they are. They could have stayed home. They could have stayed wherever they wanted to stay and went to synagogue over there. But no, they were so hardcore that they said, we're going to follow the law and we're going to go to Jerusalem. And we're going to do it exactly like the law says. You think the Lord doesn't know the hearts of these guys? The Lord knows, wow, these are devout people. In, in observance of the law and all of a sudden, what's going to happen to them? Now let's go back to Acts chapter 2. A little backdrop to these devout men. They weren't just going to Jerusalem to, you know, hang out, you know, and have a good time. They were going to Jerusalem to honor the Lord. What they knew of the Lord in accordance with the law. And so they heard the, the loud ruckus. What happened in verse 2? When verse 2, and it says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven or a loud roar as of a rushing mighty wind. These devout Jews, they gather in Jerusalem and they can hear it. And verse 6 says, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. In the Greek, it translates as an assembly of people that were in total disorder. They were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So say, for example, we take a church trip to Orlando, Florida. We're there in Disney World. You know, and it's like, wow, we're having a good old time. You know, we're having fun. And then all of a sudden, this loud rushing wind, a mighty roar comes upon us. And the tongues of fire come upon us. And we start speaking in different languages, each of us different languages. The Africans in line, they're going to turn back and be like, whoa, that lady over there, she's speaking in our language. The Chinese people, they're going to turn around and say, whoa, that lady's speaking our language. What's up? The people from, you know, Switzerland. I think they speak English over there. I don't know what they speak. <laughs> the Germans, you know, they're going to be like, whoa, that guy's speaking in our language. You see what I mean? It's not for the sake of just speaking the language. There's a purpose behind it. To speak truth. To bring good news and glad tidings. So these people, they were confused. Because in verse 6, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. I have to tell you something, and I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way. It is impossible for intellect and logic to discern things of the Spirit. It is impossible. Intellect and logic are good, are very, very beautiful. You know, it's part and parcel of our fight or flight, you know? It's very good. What I'm trying to say is dethrone your intellect and logic and open your eyes of faith. Open your eyes of faith. You say, what do you mean? I'm offended. How dare you tell me that, you know, um, I'm blind to these things with my intellect and logic. Well, I have to tell you something. Remember, 
But the very guy who speaks these things to you should be dead or in prison. That's what I mean when I say open up your eyes of faith. Take your intellect and logic and dethrone it. You don't have to throw it in the trash. Just dethrone it from your heart and open your eyes of faith. Because how can intellect and logic explain these things? Yeah, it's a piece of cake to, to speak Chinese when you've gone through, you know, five years of China school. I don't know what you call it. You know, you go to, you know, five years of Russian school, you know, and it's a piece of cake to speak Russian. But what happens when it's five seconds? You can't explain it. It's a miracle. We don't believe in Jesus Christ because of the miracles. We believe in Jesus Christ, period. One of the blessings of a walk with Jesus Christ, miracles happen. You say, wow, there's no miracle in my life. What are you talking about miracles? You know what I say? Look in the mirror. That's a miracle. You brush your teeth in the morning, hopefully, you know. You brush your teeth in the morning, you know, you look up in the mirror, you got the foam all over. Brush your teeth in the morning, you look up that very person you're looking at. That's a miracle. Because you believe in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your life. In your heart, in your mind, the work of your hands. Or, you know, I could say the Holy Spirit desires to do the work in your life. The question is, the person that you look at while you're brushing your teeth, looking in the mirror, is that person allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work? That's kind of a little bit more hardcore. You say, Jay, I don't like how you put it that way. You know what I say? Is there any other way to live? Is there any other way? In verse 7. Then they were amazed. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Remember, they're straight up hearing their own language. I mean, if we were on a church trip, to Zimbabwe. Say we're all in, in Zimbabwe and we're like at the town square. And we're eating. I don't know what we're eating. We're having lunch, but we're just eating something like we got to pray because this is some wild stuff. So we're eating. Everybody's speaking in their language, you know, whatever. They're doing their language. We don't understand what in the world is going on. But then what would happen across the street if we hear a voice and the voice is like, Hey, what's up? How you doing? Would all turn like, whoa, that guy, that girl, they're speaking English. They're speaking our language. Like, wow, that's how it was here in Jerusalem. We hear this loud sound, this loud roar. And, you know, these people gathered over here and instantly they start speaking our language. And they were marveled. They were amazed. They're like, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? In verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language, dialectos or dialecta? We hear them speak in our own dialect in which we were born. You see what's happening here? The helper 
capital H is helping the disciples to go into the world. To fulfill what the Lord called them to do. And the Holy Spirit is helping them. Yeah, the Lord called you to go in the world. But you know what? As the helper, I'm going to equip you. You see how the Holy Spirit works? Just as is written in John 16, the Lord, straight up, red letters in my Bible. John 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things are mine that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So now this helper, capital H, is equipping the disciples for this work of the ministry. A mighty, mighty, beautiful work of the ministry. And you know what? The helper, capital H, will do the same for you too today. Today, he will do exactly the same for you today. You know, you say like, wow, I can't believe that. And what do I say? Take your intellect and logic and dethrone it and open your eyes of faith. Because he will help you. You just have to let him. You have to let him. You have to yield to the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, if you don't, you can't call him the helper. Because you're not letting him help you. I mean, how stupid would it be if you take a parent and you take a child and the child is like stuck in the mud? You know, like when you're stuck in the mud, you know, sometimes your your legs are too weak to, you know, to lift out of the mud. You know, like I won't say it, but, you know, you know what I mean? Like your legs get stuck and finally you can pull out your leg, but your boots stuck in the in the, in the mud or whatever. But you take a child who's stuck in the mud and you're like, baby girl, hold my hand. My son, take my hand. I'm right here. But then you have this little child. It's like, no, thanks. Meanwhile, they're stuck in the mud. And the whole time, baby girl, I'm right here. My son, I'm right here. Think about how the Holy Spirit is. Like, no, I want to help you in your walk with the Lord. Oh, I'm stuck in the mud. Satan is attacking me. I'm stuck in the mud. Woe is me. Woe is me. You know what I say? Grab onto the helper. Yield to the Holy Spirit. He will help you in your walk with the Lord. But no, you have these charlatans. You have these hypocrites who will say, oh, this is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Look, speak like I do. All the cool people are doing it. All the cool kids are doing it. If you want to get to heaven, you'll do it too. So they speak in tongues, but then you look at the fruit of your li- their lives, and what do you see? You see a mess. Drugs, sex, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And Jesus Christ say, if the blinds follow the blind." Both will fall into a ditch. And I say, wake up. Wake up. The word of God is explicitly clear. I mean, not to be cliche, but it's like Geico. It's so easy a caveman can do it. 
You know, it's like, no, to, to understand the word of God. And if you don't understand the word of God, it's like the Holy Spirit, understand that the Holy Spirit will help you understand the word of God. And then you grow and you mature and you're going to read passages of Holy Scripture that are so, so incredibly beautiful. You're going to turn the page and it's just the opposite. So, so incredibly painful, like a knife in your heart. The Lord will put a knife in your heart. He'll never, ever, ever put a knife in your back. Never. He'll put a knife in your heart because he wants to give you a new heart and a new mind. And then look what happens here. He says in verse 8, the writer, Dr. Luke, he writes, he gives this historical account. And how is it that we hear each in our own language, our own dialecta in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So you see converts into Judaism. You have passages, we're going to study it more in the law, how the Lord tells the people of Israel, foreigners, Bring them in. Don't don't shun the foreigner. Bring them in. If they're willing to follow these things of the law, bring them in. It's an Old Testament example of uh, 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 Gentiles being grafted into the promises of God. And so you have here in verse 10, both Jews and proselytes. Remember, they're devout to the Lord. In verse 5, they're devout men from every nation under heaven. In verse 12, so... They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? What could this mean? Remember, the language here, it wasn't learned. They didn't go to school to learn to speak like the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and all these that were listed here in verses 9 and 10 and 11. They didn't go to school to learn these languages. It was given to them by the Holy Spirit. Can't explain it. Intellect, logic, cannot explain this. Impossible. But the word of God explains it. Verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's how the word explains it. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these people who were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Whatever could this mean? So these people are amazed. They marveled. They were perplexed. And some other group of people, they start to make fun of these things. They start to apply the intellect. They start to apply the logic and they come up with their explanation. Verse 13 says, others mocking translates as to sneer and to mock and to scoff. These mockers, they said, they are full of new wine, new wine. New wine here, it translates as a sweet wine. In the Greek, the word is actually glucose. Glucose. You know, if you ever, you know, I don't know if I should say this, but like bootlegged alcohol, 
people who make the bootlegged alcohol, you know, you add sugar to it. And it increases the alcohol content when it does its processing. That's why it says they are full of new wine or they are full of sweet wine. And the word in the Greek is glucose. It's increased alcohol level. It's how people in the olden days, you know, they would just add sugar and they could get drunk faster. And so these people in their intellect, using their mind, they start to explain the things of the Holy Spirit to say, these people are drunk. They're drunk. It's the world's answer to the Holy Spirit. The world's answer to the Holy Spirit. You know, people today might say the same of you. You're drunk. You're so crazy. You believe the words of the Holy Bible? You believe those fairy tales? You're so stupid. You know, you want to go to church on Sunday? No, let's go get drunk. You want to go to church Bible study on a Wednesday night? No, it's ladies night over here at this club. Let's go over here. Cheap alcohol. The world will always present alternatives. Wherever the word of God is going to come into your mind, the world, Satan, will always present alternatives. Always. 100% of the time. It's a war. It's a straight up battle. So people say you're crazy. People call you stupid. You know what I say? Praise be to the Lord. They said the same thing of John the Baptist. They say the same thing here of the church, the, the, the bride of Christ, the early church, the disciples who are gathered in one accord on this 50th day. They said the same thing of Paul the Apostle. Because they can't explain the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So rejoice. We're going to end our study here. And we're going to see it's so incredibly beautiful what happens. It's not just, you know, the gifting of the Holy Spirit for the sake of having the gift. It's the gifting of the Holy Spirit to go to war. To engage and glorify the Lord in these gifts. You know... Picture a gift that you give like a little child. You know, the child is so excited, opens the present, and it's like, wow, what is this? The child has no idea how to use it. But it's like, say, a knife, you know? Maybe a little age-appropriate, you know, a knife. And then the child learns how to use the knife, you know? You can cut bread, you can slice bread, you know, go hunting or do whatever, you know? Maybe I shouldn't say a knife, but you know what I mean, you know, a gift that is given. For a greater purpose. For a purpose that can be used in the future. But the same thing applies to the gifting of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit will gift you with whatever it is. You can speak in tongues. You can have the greatest of knowledge. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. If you have not love, it's all for nothing. What else is the gifting of the Holy Spirit? You know, well, we read about it here in Galatians uh, 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 five and I'll, I'll close in that in Galatians five, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. 
That's the helper. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's how we live the Christian lifestyle. That's how we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see this all throughout the book of Acts. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let's end our study here.